morning, Harrisonville Community Church. Wow, that's a great response. I, uh, if you're new here today, I am too. My name is Jeremy Lind. Uh, I'm the new pastor of HCC, and I'm so happy to be here. Uh, and if you are new here, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. It's great to be here. Um, and if you are new here, I would love to meet you. You know, it's very special to, uh, to get to know people when they come and visit the church. And I'm, like I said, I'm new here too, so I'd, we can begin this journey of, uh, of attending HCC together. Uh, so make sure to come up and say hello to me. Um, and if you haven't met me as well, I'd love to meet you also. So we'll be hanging around after the service. Come up and say hello. Uh, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 7 today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And uh, I've got a few things that I'm excited about coming up. Uh, the first is a sermon series we will be starting next week. It's called Turning the Tables. You know, we encounter evil in this world, in this fallen world. We encounter things that uh, grieve the Lord and are against his will. Sinful things, difficult things, illness, sickness, all these different things. And what God loves to do is take those plans of Satan and instead turn the tables and take those moments that Satan means to use to condemn us or crush us or destroy us and instead take those moments and turn the tables on them and make them moments that bring life, joy, salvation, peace, all of those things. And so we're going to be reading through the uh, book of Genesis there with the story of Joseph talking about how God turns the tables and how he wants to turn your darkest moments for your good. And I know that's a big claim, but we're going to spend five weeks in this sermon series talking about that. And so if you've had a rough year or two or five and uh, you want to dive into how God wants to take that and use it for your good, or if you know somebody who has, uh, next week through the end of September would be a great time to invite them or come and, and read that story of Joseph and learn about how God wants to take those moments in your life and turn the tables on those. Uh, next thing that is exciting that's coming up, September 12th, we're going to have a time we're going to watch a movie. It's a movie called Small Group, and it's a great movie that illustrates just the importance of uh, relationships and uh, other believers close in our lives. Um, so we're going to watch this movie, Small Group, on September 12th. We're going to have the small group leaders come, and they're going to present when their group meets, where their group is meeting, what they'll be studying, and you'll get to know the different leaders, the different groups. And if you'd like to join a small group, uh, you can do that as well. Or if you just want to come check it out, um, you're always welcome to do that as well. I don't have a specific time for you yet, but that will be coming up on September 12th. And like I mentioned, today we'll be reading from Luke chapter 7. And while you're turning there, um, I do have, uh, I do have uh, some bad news today. You see, we're in debt. I don't know if you're in debt, but I'm in debt. Raise your hand. No, just kidding. No, you don't have to raise your hand for debt. <laughs> But I was, I was looking at, you know, we're looking at moving here, looking at selling the house, and, you know, what kind of house can we afford, or how much money do we have, and I was adding up all the debt, and it's just, you know, we have negative dollars, you know, we've got our mortgage, we've got our car loan, we've got student loans, we've got credit cards, we've got medical bills, and adding it all up, and, you know, it was kind of, kind of a downer, it was kind of a downer. And then, with all the stuff that's going on in our world today, with, uh, you, you know, the, the bills and the printing and everything else, I was re-watching the news, and I got hit with a debt I didn't even know that I had. It's the national debt, $28 trillion. If you go to nationaldebtclock.org, you can watch the numbers spin in real time about how in debt we are. It's $227,000 per taxpayer. 
Now, if you're not a taxpayer, you still owe us $86,000, I guess. <laughs> so it's, even if you're not a taxpayer, it's still rough. But that is our national debt, and I got hit with that, and I added that to the rest of it, and I thought, I'm never paying this back. Are you kidding me? I will be in debt the rest of my life. I can't do anything about this. And so I asked, what do people do? Like, what do people do with this crippling, crushing, crushing debt? And I, I realized that they just ignore it. <laughs> we just don't, th- just don't think about it. Think happy thoughts. Just pretend it's not there. And that seems to be the best strategy for our debt. But gang, I've got, I've got worse news. And I know what you're thinking already. Like, this pastor just came, and I was, I was all excited to connect with the Lord and cast my cares on him. And why, why is he talking about debt? Why is he bumming me out, pastor? Well, I've got an even, even worse news. I, not only did I find nationaldebtclock.org online, I found spiritualdebtclock.org online. And we don't just have a financial debt. Our nation, humanity as a whole, and us as individuals, we are racking up quite a debt that we owe to God and to Jesus Christ. And the numbers just keep flipping. And what are we going to do? How are we going to pay this off? Are we going to handle it like we do our financial debt and just ignore it? Well, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read about what Jesus Christ tells us about our debt And it's hard news. We are debtors that cannot pay back, but Jesus has got an excellent story to illustrate something about our debt. And we're going to begin reading from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We're going to ask ourselves, do we know how much we owe? Sitting down, adding up how much I owe to different people. And when I sit down and I add up how much I owe to the Lord... Do I even have an understanding of that? And do you have an understanding of that? Well, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus, we're going to read a story about Jesus. And the author Luke writes this. He says, One of the Pharisees asked him, him being Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, and I got the verses up on the screen for you too. Sorry about that. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And so here Jesus begins telling a story, or Jesus begins reading a story about Jesus and three characters, I should say. And then Jesus is going to tell a story in just a moment. But there's three characters that Luke, three characters that Luke is telling us are in this story to begin with. There's one, there's the Pharisee, his name is Simon. Now, Pharisees were people who put an incredible amount of effort into being good people. You know, Pharisees, you know, they had great intentions. They wanted to follow God. They were serious about it. They were so serious about it that they would oftentimes write all the commandments of God down and then tape them to their forehead as a symbolic gesture and as a way to remind themselves that God's commandments should always be on our mind. These people were serious about it. They were putting forward the effort. They memorized his commandments. They tried to do as best as they can. Pharisees tried very hard to be good people. And this is Simon. Simon's a Pharisee. He's someone who has tried very... He, he didn't miss church, right? He didn't slack off on reading God's Word. 
Simon has tried very hard to be a good guy. And you'd think as you read through the scripture, you'd think as you read these stories that the Pharisees would be the good guys in the stories. And then you have Jesus is the second character that we're introduced to as the story begins. And Jesus is invited by Simon because Jesus is getting majorly famous. Jesus is a prophet. And if you, we're in Luke chapter 7 right here, but if you read through the first six chapters of Luke, you'd be talking, Luke would be talking and, and uh, sharing stories of how Jesus taught with incredible wisdom and got everyone's attention and following. You know, this guy teaches with such authority and such wisdom. We've never heard of anything like this. And Jesus is gathering all these giant crowds because of his wisdom. And also because of his power, he's showing the power of God. There weren't uh, incredible medical you know, advances 2,000 years ago. If you got sick, you usually did not get better. And Jesus came and changed all that. Imagine how desperate the people were 2,000 years ago. And they flocked to him with their sick people to heal because they'd never seen anything like that. You go to the doctor and they would you know, sprinkle some snake oil on you and chant something and you go back and get sicker and die. That's what they experienced 2,000 years. And here's a guy that broke that and he had the power of God over illnesses. And so they're following him like crazy. And not only that, he's proving he's got the power over Satan himself as he delivers these demon-possessed people from their evil and forgives sin. And, and so Simon, who wants to follow God, who's trying his hardest to be a good guy, hears about Jesus and says, I've got to find out more about him. This is amazing stuff. And so... Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. And then the third character in this is a woman who is uninvited to this dinner. She's not someone that Simon wanted to have here. Now, how could that, how could that happen? How could an uninvited person come to dinner? Well, I'm from Minnesota, and uh, we think it's hot in Minnesota in the summers. We do. <laughs> It'll be 79 degrees with a little humidity, and we're out there going, oh, man, this is rough. When is this, when is this uh, hot, front, hot spell going to move past? We think it's hot there. And I came up here with a trailer of stuff here as we're in the move, stuff that we need, the essentials to get us through the next month or two until we find a house, and I'm unloading the trailer. I am just sweating like mad. I've never sweat like this in my life. I'm like, not only is there sweat on top of my sweat, it's like two inches thick. The sweat underneath can't get out because the sweat on top is still coming down. And I spilled some water. I'm so thirsty. I'm so hot. I took a drink of water and I spilled some water on my friend's nice floor. He's letting us stay there. I thought I better wipe up this water. And I lean over to wipe up the water and <laughs> twice as much sweat gets on the floor and then I have to wipe that up. This is hot. And if you think it's hot here, go to the Middle East in the summer. Go to the Middle East in the summer. It's hotter there. It's so hot there. I mean, when they get hot, what do they do? It's 2,000 years ago. There's no air conditioning. There's no ice. I, I think today's the greatest day and age to be alive that has ever existed. I go to the fridge when I'm hot. I put my little glass against that little thing, and all of a sudden, the ice comes down, and then I move it one over, and the water comes down. I drink ice-cold water. These people didn't have that. 2,000 years ago when it got hot and you had guests over, he said, would you like me to turn on the air? And they said, yes. And so you opened the door. <laughs> and that was how they got through dinner. They opened the doors. And so when you had people over, if you wanted them to stay for more than five minutes, you had to have those doors open. 
because it was hot in there. And that would let all sorts of people come by. Might be like Seinfeld back in the day where all of a sudden your friends are just barging in to dinner unannounced. It might be beggars, people who you don't really want to be there, and just uninvited guests. And so this woman, she's an uninvited guest, but the doors are open. And so she's heard that Jesus is there, and so she's come. And who is she? Well, the Bible, Luke, so tactfully describes her as a woman of the city. What is a woman of the city? Will kids cover your ears? But a woman of the city is a prostitute. She's a prostitute. She's a public disgrace. What she's done with her life, what she's done is disgraceful. And everyone knows it. She's not someone that Simon wanted at this dinner. He didn't want this woman there. And you wouldn't either. Right? You wouldn't want your kids around this lady. I mean, if she's willing to do that with her life and her actions, who knows what else she's willing to do and what else she'd be willing to say. You don't want your husband around this woman. She makes a living breaking up your family. And everyone knows it. It's public. The nature of her sin is public. Her job is public. So people know when they walk by her who she is and what she's done, and what she does. And why has she come to Jesus? Well, she seems physically fine. Many people come to Jesus because they were physically disabled and needed healing. One of my favorite passages is in Luke chapter 5, where they bring a paralyzed man to Jesus. Think about how hard it would be to get a paralyzed man to Jesus 2,000 years ago. There's crowds all over. There's no handicap access ramps, no wheelchairs. Nowadays, they got these vans that are incredible. I see the people pull up, the doors open, the ramp goes, and they just roll. They didn't have that 2,000 years ago. And so they had to carry their friend. They take such great lengths to carry their friend to Jesus because he's his only hope. The man's paralyzed. He can't provide for himself. He can't work. He can't take care of himself. And so they bring him to Jesus, and they think this guy's biggest problem is that he's paralyzed. It's his physical disablement. That's so they bring him to Jesus. Heal his problem, Lord. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. What are you talking about, Jesus? The man can't even walk. What sins is he doing? Heal his body. And Jesus reveals that the man's greatest need is his spiritual debt. It's his spiritual sin. Even the guy who can't walk. I mean, what's he doing wrong? Well, he's still got a debt in his heart towards the Lord that he can't pay. And so Jesus, everyone thinks it's his physical body that's his biggest problem. Jesus reveals it's his spiritual problem that's the biggest thing. He might walk, but he's still going to hell. And so Jesus forgives him of his sins. And he says, so you know I have the power to forgive sins. I will do the less important thing to me, but the more important thing to you, the more impressive thing to you... I can say I'm forgiving his sins, but how do you know that? Well, so you know that. I'll also heal his body. He says, take up your mat and walk. And the man does. And so all these people are coming to Jesus for different reasons. And I think that's why this woman has come to Jesus. If you turn back to Luke chapter 1, verse 79, the first chapter or two of Luke, all about why Jesus is coming and who he is. In Luke chapter 1, verse 79, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, Named my 
middle boy's middle name after this individual. Chapter 1, verse 79, Zechariah says, I should say verse 78, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I think that's why this woman has come here. She needs peace. She needs God's merciful compassion. Her body's fine. She hasn't come for that. She's heard how Jesus has been forgiving sins. And she's like, I need some peace. I need the Lord. And so she comes in to this dinner uninvited, unwanted. And she brings with her this alabaster flask of anointment to, ointment to anoint Jesus. And as she comes in, she is just overcome with love and emotion. You know, as adding up my debts, I have, uh, I have plenty of debt. But one debt I don't have is from seminary. I have some student debt from my undergrad, but I have none from my seminary. I applied for a scholarship uh, to seminary through this program, through this, uh, this ministry. And uh, I was so blessed to receive that scholarship. It was this family in Wisconsin. Uh, when I got the scholarship now, years ago, uh, they were very elderly. I'm not sure if they're still alive. Um, I never had a chance to meet them, the, the, the father and the uh, mother of this family who had given scholarships. They, they gave so much money, so much money to pastors or, or young men who wanted to be pastors. It was just incredible stuff. They had started their own business, become very wealthy, had a passion for the church. And they're very busy people. Not only do they run their business, but they you know, have a ton of um, kids. And, and they also have this giant foundation through which they... You know, give money. And, and so I never had the opportunity to meet them. But I went to a, an event one time, and, and one of their daughters was there. And I cried pretty easy anyway. And I was standing there, and I was like, I have a chance to meet, you know, this person. And thank them for what they've done for me. Because at that point, I mean, that's more money than I had ever had in my life. That's more money than I earned in well over a year, two years. And they had given that to me. And I was like, okay, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> but, you know, I walked up and, you know, couldn't help it, right? That was life-changing stuff. I got to say thank you. Express my gratitude. Because I know how much I owed. I knew how much I had to pay back. I knew how much I had to pay. And that was incredible life-changing stuff. Knowing how much I owed changed how much I felt. And that's the same with this woman of the city. Nobody else around Jesus knows how much they owe. Simon's a guy who's trying to be the good guy. Ironically, the Pharisees are almost always the villain of the story. The fool. Simon's been trying to follow God. He has no idea how much he owes. Because of that, he does not appreciate. A man who's trying to follow God does not appreciate God himself as he sits at the table. Think about how many times we walk in and out of church not appreciating God. How many times we walk in and out of church as a routine? This is what I do on Sundays and not appreciating the God who we're in the presence of. 
And this woman knows how much she owes. And she comes in and she's overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness. And she stands there and she's crying. And she looks down and she sees her tears are, are hitting Jesus' feet. Why are her tears at Jesus' feet? Well, your feet were stinky. Man, did they stink. You used those things to get everywhere. They didn't have high-quality footwear. And so their feet would get disgusting, muddy, sweaty, and nasty. And so you'd sit down at the table, and they would seriously lie on their side with their feet. The table's like just a few feet high. They'd lie on their side with their feet far away from the food. <laughs> it was more appetizing that way. And they'd lean on the table, and they'd eat like this, all in a, around the table. And so when you'd come in, the first thing you'd encounter is someone's feet. And so she sees Jesus' feet, and her, she's crying. I mean, this is awkward stuff. Nobody else is crying. They're all sitting there dignified, like they belong in the presence of Jesus. And she comes in, and knows what an incredible blessing and opportunity this is. And so she's crying. She knows her tears are hitting his feet. She looks down at his feet. She sees that they're not washed. Now, normally, when you'd come into a guest house, they'd provide a servant and water to wash the feet of the individual, or they'd wash the feet themselves. This guy hasn't done that, as we're going to read about in a few verses. And so she looks down at his dirty feet and realizes that he hasn't even been welcomed properly. And she's making everyone uncomfortable. And she's sitting there weeping uncontrollably. And then she does something even more awkward. She lets down her hair, which would be something that usually only a woman of the city would do in that culture because it is so improper. No respectable woman would be doing that. She doesn't care. So she begins washing his feet with her hair. And then she starts kissing his feet. And then she starts anointing his feet with the ointment. Now, normally, the anointing was done by priests to sinners. It was done on the head, not the feet. When did sinners start anointing priests? And when did they start anointing their feet? She's doing it all wrong. I mean, this is awkward stuff. I'm sure the Pharisees hated it. What is going on? And so Simon says, when the Pharisee would invite him, saw this. This is unashamed, undignified display of worship of Jesus. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. When the people who love Jesus start worshiping him, all the people who don't love him will get really awkward and get very uncomfortable. I grew up in church. I didn't love the Lord. I wanted to be on the throne of my life. I went to a church camp when I was 19. I saw all these people worshiping the Lord my age which is something I hadn't really seen. All of them just unashamed, this worship. I thought the music was like subpar. I, it was just a lady up there on a piano at this church camp. I thought the lyrics were strange. I couldn't relate to them. And all of this unashamed worship made me incredibly uncomfortable. What are they doing? This is so undignified. 
But as I gave my heart over to the Lord and he changed my heart, I didn't expect that to actually happen. I thought, well, if these people, if these people worshiping, if they know the Lord in the way I don't, then that would explain this worship. There's also other things that would explain it, but I have to be, if I'm seeking the Lord, I have to be open to this possibility that they somehow know Jesus in a way I don't. And so I opened my heart to that. I entered into that type of worship. I didn't expect anything to happen, and I was super surprised when the Lord changed my heart. And what had a few days before been incredibly uncomfortable to me and lyrics I couldn't relate to instead expressed purely what was on my heart. And I could say I loved Jesus and I loved worshiping him. And the music, which seemed subpar a few days ago, I didn't care because I was in the presence of the Lord. I hear this woman loves Jesus and she doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And she doesn't care how awkward she makes other people. And if you love the Lord, don't care how much you make other people feel awkward when you worship. We come into church and we dress casually to, to reach other people and relate to other people. Let them know, hey, I'm just like you. There's nothing casual about being in the presence of God. And this woman knows it, and she does not pass up on this opportunity. If you're someone who can't relate to the worship of God, if people who love the Lord make you uncomfortable, I would invite you to lay down your dignity and your pride and enter into seeking the Lord with all of your heart. Because he's worthy of this kind of worship. And he's worthy of your worship. And it's good. And here Simon says... So uncomfortable. If Jesus knew what was going on right now, if he knew what kind of lady she was, he must not know what kind of woman she is. If he knew, he'd say, leave me alone. But Jesus looks deeper than Simon could ever know. Jesus looks deeper and sees who she really is, and he sees who Simon really is. And the host says this to himself, but Jesus, being God, knows what he's thinking, and so he's got a story to teach Simon. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And so Jesus tells him this story. It says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 50 denarii would be 50 days wages, almost two months. A denarii was a day's wage. 500 would be a year and a half of wages. That's a big debt. That's as big as my seminary bill that that family canceled. And who would love him more? Who would be more thankful? Someone who was forgiven a little or someone who was forgiven a lot? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, you have judged rightly. Now, the interesting thing is both of them need forgiveness. And both of them need it just as bad. One of them thinks he owes 50. The other one thinks she owes 500. Since she knows how much she owes, she loves the Lord. The other guy says, I only owe 50. Not a big deal. Do you know how spiritually dangerous it is to be a pastor or a leader in the church? Because you sit here and you think, well, you know, I haven't done this and I haven't done that. I mean, my job depends on my behavior. Do you know how many things I don't do out of selfish pride so I don't lose my job? 
And then you start looking down on other people who have done those things. You know what danger it is to be the worship leader or the elder? Even if you attend church every week, that's enough. You can sit there and be like, well, you know, I come here every week. I'm not like those other people. And that's often why we don't get as many people like this woman in church, because we make them feel so terrible. Our pride is so disgusting to the Lord. That is a disgusting, disgraceful sin. This woman, her sin is public. But for many of us, our sin is private, and we think we've held it together. Do you know how spiritually dangerous that is? That type of spirituality will keep us from loving Jesus, loving God. That spiritual danger will, will make us so that when we're in the presence of God, we don't think it's anything special, that it's a big deal. And so Jesus teaches a story to remind us and remind Simon about the debt they actually have. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And we are so often unaware of our sins because we've kept them mostly private. But when you humble yourself and recognize how much you owe, it gives you an incredible advantage in seeking the Lord and experiencing his blessings and his love and his presence. Because then you'll begin to love Jesus a lot. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's the point. That was the point of the story with a paralyzed man. This is God. And to prove it, get up and walk. They're in the present. Who is this? That's exactly who Jesus is trying to reveal to them. He's God. And here he is at their dinner. Do any of them even care? And he says to the woman, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this lady finds the peace that she's looking for. And Jesus has paid for our sins in full. That spiritual debt counter, if we were able to log in and look in there and see what kind of debt we're racking up, we would run to the Lord. We would love him with all of our heart because we know how much he's paid for us. And this woman knows it. And so she loves the Lord a lot. And you've been struggling in your relationship with God. If you don't find your love for the Lord deep, it might be because you have not dove into the depth of the sin in your heart and the pride that you have in your heart. And the interesting thing is, is when we dive into the depth of our sin, we usually don't like to do that because it makes us feel condemned. And part of that is healthy because God will condemn sin. It is going to happen. However, Satan is the one who wants us condemned, and Jesus is the one who wants to forgive us and to pay that debt. That's why he came, out of love for us. And so when a Christian dives into the depth of sin in their heart, 
it shouldn't make us feel condemned. Instead, it should make us feel free because that's not what's sending us to hell. It's what Jesus forgave so we can go to heaven. And if our love for the Lord has been small, if we don't feel motivated to read his word, if we don't feel passionate about worship, whatever it is, if you feel like God is far, it could be. There's a variety of things that it could be, but it also could be that we just haven't dove into that depth of sin in our heart. And when we do, and when we do it healthily, and when we don't sit there and condemn ourselves like Satan wants us to, but we sit there and we repent of it, and receive the Lord's forgiveness, that will result in incredible love for God as we dive in and realize how much he's forgiven. And the Lord does not want to condemn us. He wants to save us. And he's died on the cross for that, to pay for our sins in full. And so we don't need to feel condemnation. Instead, we can feel overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness like this woman. And those who love Jesus more are those who know he paid in full and know how much that full is. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time of worship and to be in your presence. Lord, as we go about our lives and we are enticed by Satan to love this and love that and do this and live like everyone else and we feel you slipping and feel far and sometimes wonder where you are. God, as our love for other things grow throughout the week and our love for you takes a back seat. God, as we come back into your presence, Lord, I pray that you bless us and we can repent of that. Pull on our heart that goes towards sin. Lord, forgive us of not appreciating you. Lord, give us a vision of how glorious and great you are. And God, as we sit there and we wonder, how can I grow closer to you in my faith? Lord, I pray that you bless us that one of the ways that we can consider is to dive deep into that sin in our heart and admit the pride, the selfishness, the greed, the lies, whatever it is, the things that we don't like to look at because they're too ugly and they make us feel terrible about ourselves. God, I pray you bless us that we can look at those things not in condemnation, Lord, but in appreciation that you have forgiven us of that. You love us so much that you died on the cross for us. We might know you and we might be saved. And Lord, as we've tried to be good people like Simon and we've tried our hardest, it can be discouraging and hard to admit that we are still fully worthy of your judgment. Lord, that can be difficult. I pray as we look at our sin that we wouldn't get discouraged. Lord, but instead we would again have appreciation for you that this is what you will deliver us from either today or tomorrow or when you return. But all of this is going away. And the desire in our heart to be free of it that drives us to try to be good people, Lord, that desire, God, that would drive us to you in repentance and humility and confidence that your spirit will free us from this. And we can take a look at it. And we can repent of it because it is going away. And this is not who we are. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. We pray the result of all of that, God, would be just a deep love for you. That as we enter your presence, we remember the God that we love and serve and how good you are. And as we go out in our world throughout the week, that we might know your, your great love for us and that our love for you in return would give us strength not to have our heart chase after other things, but to remain faithful to you. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.